South Connection. Welcome back to the Ruthless the Aggressive Podcast, episode 48, almost up to 50. Uh, I'll be covering two weeks of TV like I usually do when it's not a pay-per-view. Um, uh, joining me on this one is my good pal. Uh, it's been a, quite a while since he's been on the pod, and I'm excited to have him back. He is um, Stone Cold Steve Riddle. What's going on, Steve? <laughs> I'm, doing, uh, I'm doing great. It's glad to be back. It feels like... Uh, so much has changed since the last time I was on. Yeah, we, we were talking before the pod, and the last time you were on, we were pre-vengeance. We were coming off the uh, the uh, the sorry the uh, Taker Hardy match, the ladder match, and all that kind of stuff, and the the Jackie Gata um, infamous Bacha Fest, uh, all that stuff. And here we are in December of 2002, and it certainly feels much, much different. Um, as we'll talk about, Jeff Hardy certainly not in the prominent role we might have thought he would have been at this point <laughs> last time we spoke. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, we, we have, to pre- as always, these are pretty meaty shows, so we will hop into it. I have a few news notes uh that we'll get into Steve, not a ton of real exciting stuff. Uh, as far as the news, not a whole bunch here. We have the first one is, uh, the rock did an interview with the Dallas radio station last week and seemed to accidentally reveal that WWE is planning a rock versus Goldberg match for WrestleMania. Um, which of course would not happen, but it does at least reveal one that rock's going to be probably returning and that, uh, Goldberg, maybe they finally worked out some sort of deal with Goldberg, but, uh, old Dave doubts that they would do it for WrestleMania because WrestleMania kind of sells itself. So why put a big match on, um, you know, why put a match that could sell the show by itself on WrestleMania? It's going to sell itself. And you know, he wasn't wrong, Steve. (laughs) Mm. Yeah, no, he wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so we can maybe see um, kind of a lot of these news notes will kind of um, 
maybe start to hint at where we're going to be going in the uh, new year. But anyway, uh, we uh, keep carrying on. He says that the uh, the past month of house show attendance for WWE has been the worst month since December of 1995, which is pretty that's, – that's rough. I mean, 1995 is, of course, the year famous for where they ran shows in, like, high school gymnasiums and stuff. So anytime they're being compared to 95, that has to make them a bit nervous, I would say. Yeah, but, I mean, you I mean, you do take into account it's December. You know, mm-hmm. people are probably, right. you know, wanting to save their money for gifts and stuff. So, I mean, I mean I'm not discrediting what he's saying. I mean, you right, know, right. You, we, we, we kind of talk, you've been kind of talking about it. The house show businesses – slowly been on the decline for most of the year so i mean i'm sure there's so i'm sure there's some merit into what he's saying but um but again you know there's probably other outside factors that he's maybe not taking into consideration right and also i believe not to get into you know the state of american society but i think by o2 we'd be on the very you know u.s economy i don't think was doing super well in the early 2000s post 9 11 all that so um, you could be, but you know, all Dave, he's very doom and gloom sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this McMahon has probably told some of the wrestlers that Steve Austin is indeed returning to soon. Uh, but for obvious reasons, they're trying to keep it on the down low for now. So, um, and this would turn out to be true. Of course, we will see Steve Austin back pretty soon. So, uh, and we actually, you know, I don't think it's any coincidence that we're going to hear him them kind of do sort of a uh we'll see his name brought up in here and sort of a kind of work shoot sort of comment that we're going to see later in the show so i don't think that's a coincidence yeah they, i'm sure that uh you know now that he's had some time to kind of cool cool off and um kind of get him, get himself back in the right frame of mind i'm sure that they were probably looking to bring him back because i think they knew that they needed him at that at this point right um, Eddie Fatu, uh, also known as Jamal, a three-minute warning, better known later as Umaga, was suspended a couple weeks ago, and this is something that's been ongoing. I've spoke about it. You could kind of clearly tell in the positioning of three-minute warning that something is not right because they came in super hot, and all of a sudden now, and it will continue on these shows, they are sort of becoming an afterthought and kind of fodder, uh, and I'm assuming it's probably some kind of um, you know punishment for his uh, – uh, we'll say off the field issues. Uh, all all Dave seems to know is that it's something to do with he got in so, that uh, Jamal got in some altercation with police in early December in uh, Pensacola. So rough break for Jamal. Unfortunately, the first of some that would continue in his life. Sadly, yeah, that that will definitely <laughs> we'll see that play out over the years, especially in the later half of the other decade. Right. Um, and a lot of talk, uh, a lot of talk. Now, this is one of those kind of grain of salt things, but a lot of talk backstage at WWE is similar to what fans on the internet are also saying. There's a feeling inside the company that Triple H's influence on Raw is killing the show. Pat Patterson has been one of the only ones to vocally speak up about it because everyone else recognizes that it's probably going to be Vince's son-in-law one day and nobody wants to speak out against him. But more and more, there are whispers going around that somebody has to say something because they feel Triple H is slowly strangling the life out of the show. So early mumbles of the uh, the reign of terror here, Steve. Uh, yeah. I mean, you almost kind of wonder maybe why they didn't just kind of come together and just at least voice their opinion events just so that he at least knew some, you know, knew about it. Maybe he could have, you know, 
put them put their minds at ease a little bit because, like you said, I mean, he's Triple H isn't married to Stephanie yet, so mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's not like he's got a ton of pull over over Vince. So I I don't know. So it's, it's one of those weird. That's one of those weird uh, situations that I don't know if we'll ever really know the full story behind uh, mm-hmm. behind that. Like how much how much pull did Triple H really had have back then, as opposed to like the pull he has now. Right, because I mean, obviously, Meltzer's going to be getting the, uh, you know, the 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 discontent from the locker room are going to be the ones calling him. It, you know, he's not speaking the, you know, the other side of it. So it's always a tricky thing. But it is, I should say, going off that that we are really getting here. I, I've said it since I kind of started the pod, uh, and when Triple H was gifted the title, and it's kind of had its ups and downs. But I will say that we're really getting into here, and it'll be. Uh, it'll be cool to go through. I don't know if cool's word, but interesting to go through and see how this Triple H run goes. Because this is where I think when people look back and say, you know, the reign of terror or whatever, this is where it really starts. Like, kind of people kind of dog him for the stuff up until the Sean win, but the post when he wins it back from Sean after Armageddon and into 03 is I feel like when people really, really, this is the era that people really detest of this Triple H run. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree. So we'll see if that holds up. But anyway, that's all we have. Not not a ton of rule. No, nobody getting stabbed or um, <laughs> crimes being committed, <laughs> which usually is in these <laughs> news notes. <laughs> so, so with that, we'll go straight into the uh, into the wrestling. We'll start with the Raw from. So this will be uh, the December sixteenth, o two Raw, right off of Armageddon. So the night after Armageddon, live from Orlando. Still, still hanging in Florida. In. We will start with a match uh, to start off Raw, which is not always happening, uh, which is going to be Test and Trish versus Stevie and Victoria. And this is actually going to be an intergender one. We see a lot of these mixed tags on uh, on Raw, but rarely do get the intergender. So that means, of course, that the, the men can fight the women and vice versa. A lot of bombs being thrown early, like just huge shots by both. They come out of the gate like they don't take it. They don't waste any time uh, going straight for it. Like, and Trish specifically is taking a ton of bumps in this one. Takes like a sidewalk slam from Stevie. She's getting vertical suplexed uh, enough to make Jr. kind of unhappy about it. Um, he says that he doesn't want to be seen as some kind of chauvinist, but he doesn't like these intergender matches. It just doesn't feel like, right to him. So kind of getting over, which I think worked because he's kind of getting over you know, the, the beating that Trish has taken here, but this match I thought was really banging, like just complete insanity. They're just going all out. Like Tess comes in, he wrecks shop. Stevie saves Victoria. Like he's going to do the pump handle on Victoria. So they were trying to make the most of, you know, if they're going to make this an intergender match, like you could tell Victoria and Trish were went in there saying like, you know what? Well, set us up, like let us pump and everything. Cause he's about to pump handle slam Victoria. And then Tess, I mean, uh, Stevie comes and saves her and then Stacy uh, uses it, uh, ends up being the X factor here as she leads Stevie outside the ring. Uh, poor innocent, poor idiot Stevie, and he gets led right into a, a, a boot from Test, and that gives us the one, two, three. But I was kind of shocked by this match. I thought it was pretty fun. Like it was just a fun, like five minute sprint, like crazy uh, big spots constantly. No kind of dull moments. They just kind of went balls to the wall for five minutes. So. I was kind of pleasantly surprised by this one, Steve. I ended up going three stars on it. Oh wow, that's 
that's maybe that's, generous. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you, you talking about it actually, I kind of I, I bumped my grade up a bit. I bumped my grade up to it. I actually went uh, two stars on it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you. Yeah, Trish definitely uh, took a real beating in this match from both Victoria and from Stevie, and I think that's. Uh, you know, one of the reasons why they, you know, did the intergenders because, like, you know, Stevie wants nothing to do with Tess, but he'll gladly, you know, lay the wood down on Trish. Mm-hmm. So, you know, kind of right. putting, over, putting over his character. And, uh, yeah, Tess looked really, uh, really solid here. He's definitely, uh, I think they definitely want to get him, you know, probably heated it back up again for another push, you know, hence putting Stacy with him, changing up his look and everything. And, uh, that that uh, boot he gets Stevie with is really stiff. I mean, mm-hmm. Stevie took it clear on the jaw, um, and yeah, just like you said, really good effort by uh, by the four of them, particularly by Trisha Victoria. And you mentioned how there haven't been many uh, intergender matches to this point. I think it's because most of the mixed tags we've seen have had you know at least one uh, woman in there where they're not really mm-hmm. that. Uh, you know, consistent wrestler, so that's why they kept to the mixed tag formula. Like, like the like the tag we talked about that we that we, when I was last on the Bradshaw, Trish, and Nowitzki, Jackie. Like, that would never be an intergender match, even even though mm-hmm. uh, Nowitzki seems like the kind of guy that would want to, you know, character that would have no problem beating on Trish. Uh, you could never see Jackie doing that with somebody. So, um, that you know, unlike uh, Victoria, who has you know, who would have no problem get taking a beating from a guy if uh, if needed. So. Uh, yeah, so yeah, fun, fun mixed tag, good little pop for Trish, tr- for Trish and Test, and um, clear that they want to keep the Trish Victoria feud going even after uh, Armageddon. Yeah, uh, no, that's a good point too about the intergender because it, it has sort of been a hallmark of this feud between Trish and Victoria is kind of up in the physicality, like up in the violence a bit between these two. Then, you know, what you had seen, and I would say most women's feuds are matches up to this point in WWE. But yeah, that's a good point. It's like two women that they feel could go out there and it kind of makes sense. Like, yeah, no one's going to have um, Jackie Gate in there taking a sidewalk slam from Test. would probably not. Uh, work out too well but yeah fun I, I could be overrating it a bit because i think sometimes on these raws just when they come out with just a fun sort of exciting match with some like um with some energy it kind of pops me because it's so often you just sort of get it kind of it's a very slow start for raw a lot of times so maybe i'm that's getting a little bonus points for me but uh we'll, we'll roll on all right eric is backstage he wants to be on triple h's side now that he's champ because we, we had seen before uh, a little bit of tension between the two after, you know, after originally gifting him the title, Eric is kind of, he and Triple H have been at odds at certain points, but uh, he wants to be back on the side. He tells Morley he wants this to be Triple H appreciation night. And Morley seems a little bit worried because he says he promised the main event spot to Scott Steiner, their new signee. So really going here, Steve, with the old sitcom inviting two dates uh, on the on the same night sort of thing here. <laughs> uh, yeah, and like you said, the uh, the glad handling from Bischoff to Triple H uh, really really starts here. We'll kind of see that throughout the next year or so. Uh, Bischoff basically uh, almost being in Triple H's pocket, and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just like like you said, the ongoing uh, kind of miscommunication with. Um, Bischoff and Morley, where it's like Bischoff does one thing while Morley does another, and they don't, you know, talk to each other about it. Uh, but you could definitely tell they're it's being it's clear they're setting something up with uh, Triple H and Steiner as a potential uh, as a potential feud with Steiner being Triple H's next challenger. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. You you can yeah, they're going straight into it, which is good. I mean, they'll beat around the bush. You know that's what they want to do. So uh but anyway, we'll stay backstage and we go to Goldie Claus, which is Goldust <laughs> dressed up as Santa Claus. He says that Book has been Booker has been a good boy, and he asks him if he wants to touch a sack. Um, and I know I always say this, but the, the development of their relationship is so great because, like, you know, three months ago or, or whatever, if you would have said this to Booker, you'd have like a Booker freak out moment. But here he kind of he doesn't know Celadon, but he's just like, all right, I know you're being weird. Like, what do you what's the real deal? What's in the bag kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I just love that he's like grown used to Goldust's like shenanigans and kind of just. Gives him like a little smile and doesn't get worked up anymore. But in the uh, in the gift sack is their tag team titles. Uh, he th- he gets serious and thanks Booker T for believing in him. Christian trolls them and says that next week they're going to get their rematch. So uh, to get back at him, Goldust pulls out of the sack um, a gift for Christian. And he says because he's been a naughty boy, he gets a jar of ass cream. So a little callback to the ass cream here, but I like this soul. This was a fun, but you get the best of both worlds of Booker T and Goldust here. You get the silliness of what's in a sack, but then they have the nice little sentimental moment about them being champs. And I like them. So I was fine with it. Yeah, definitely. Um, really, you know, fun moment. And like you say, Goldust coming to Santa Claus and having the, <laughs> the belts, in, the belts in the bag. And I think um, when we look back at the year as a whole, one of the best um, like through lines throughout the year, particularly on Raw, has been this relationship between Booker and Goldust mm-hmm. from kind of being, you know, from Goldust trying to be his partner and Booker kind of like being hesitant about it to eventually becoming partners and becoming friends and seeing their run to the to become champions finally pay off here, you know, pay off the night before in Armageddon. And yeah, just a really great um, through line for the year. And it really gave um it was a good opportunity to turn to turn Booker face because I think he really the fans were dying to cheer him. And this was a good way to cheer him. And this also, I think, gave a, a nice little bit of uh, longevity for Goldust because you wonder mm-hmm. how long he probably would have lasted after his return at the Rumble had he not, you know, kind of had this this solo, this partnership not come about. So I think it definitely worked well for both guys. And yeah, the, 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 the freaking jar of ass cream that he gives Christian is like so huge. And Christian's like sells it great. And then of course, like he, you know, he's saying like, Oh, I'm, I'm not the one that uses this. It's Jericho that uses it. And then he like kind of holds it close to him as he walks away blind. He's going to use it. So <laughs> yeah, like, uh, yeah. Like clasping his ass cream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, and I do, I do like the ridiculous like prop of, um, you know, just like a white jar with like plain black font that just says ass cream on it, no brand name or anything, like as if ass cream is the brand name. Yeah, it's a good point though, because uh, there were the few instances on Raw, I feel like, of characters that have kind of like that you kind of gravitate towards. Like, I think a lot of people on Raw, even the guy, a lot of them that are over, like, you know, Jeff Hardy has been kind of over at certain points early in the year, but he never had much of a character or anything. I just think they're. A good example, uh, uh, how to say this, a rare example of entertaining characters on Raw. Like, you don't get a ton of that on Raw where the guys get a chance to. But, yeah, they've been great. It's awesome. And, and they can go in the ring, too. I think all, it's also kind of rejuvenated Gold Dust in ring, too, because he's been killing it in the ring. Uh, but we will now go to a feud that I've not been super high on, and that is the uh, continuing tough enough feud between Maven and Nowinski. Um you know, I'd say this every time, but it shows you kind of what they 
they don't have a lot invested in this because they just tried them out here. They've been building this feud for quite a while with the Al Snow, Maven, Nowinski stuff. And it's just kind of thrown out here like a throwaway match on Raw. We get a Harvard Sucks chant. A lot of basic arm drags and stuff. Uh, nothing too no- noteworthy in the early going. Uh, the most entertaining thing in the early going is a heated argument between Jr. and King about whether uh, Chris Nowinski is like an asshole or not. Like uh, Jr. says that he's like a, a smug prick and that – you know, not everybody from Harvard acts like him. And then King starts bringing up his personal life and says that's why he's a chip on the show. Did you really get into it here? Like, um, like they're really uh, going at it, King and JR, on this night. But they things heat up a little bit. They start throwing in some bigger moves and bigger shots. Uh, it gets a little sloppy when they go up to the top rope. Like, it looked like Maven kept slipping. Like, they were trying to set themselves up up there for what's going to end up being the finish. But it just didn't seem like they could get it set too well. Uh, they end up going, uh, Maven hits a sunset flip and Chris kind of rolls back onto him and picks up the one, two, three that way. So that whole finishing sequence is a little sloppy, but it was like a fine match, but it's didn't really do anything too exciting. I ended up going two cause I didn't think there was, it wasn't like horrible. I didn't find myself extremely bored or anything. It was really bad, but I also didn't really have a whole lot that I was left with after the match. And it just, it just leaves you with the feeling that they have no real idea what to do with either one of these guys. So it's going to be a, a, a gentleman's two for me, uh, Steve. Yeah, I went one and a half on it. It's um, mm-hmm. yeah, this, this hasn't been uh, too inspiring for these two guys, for these guys that they had a lot of hopes for. Um, it, it felt more like a, an exhibition match for both guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they did work in some nice moves, and you could see like the flashes of potential for both of them. Um, but yeah, that that when they were on the top rope, you know, like def- they definitely, uh, I don't know what they were trying to do, but mm-hmm. it definitely felt like they were, you know, having a hard time trying to get their footing up there. And uh, you know, having uh, Nowinski win cheap, I thought, you know, was was fine. But um, yeah, you do wonder what's the what the plans are now for both guys because it seems like. Like after this this feud, like neither guy feels like they have any direction going forward. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, 2003 treats both of them. Right. It's yeah. It's like they could have had something there, but they don't really invest enough time or honestly creativity. Like you said, it just uninspired is a good way to kind of describe this whole deal. Um, yeah, it had very much like a. Um, I don't want to be trying to force this comparison because there are tough enough guys, but like you said, exhibition kind of like tryout match, especially at the beginning part. I thought it heated up a bit at the end, but the beginning was very much like arm drags and, you know, wrestling one-on-one type of stuff. So anyway, all right, we now head to, um, we stay in the ring and HBK heads out to the ring for a promo coming off his uh, loss of the titles in the uh, two out of three falls, three stages of hell, whatever match at Armageddon. He addresses Flair, saying that he needed to pass the torch. And even though he lost, he still stole the show and went out in the blaze of glory. Uh, you know, I, I've liked Sean's promos decently at this point. I didn't love this. Like, he didn't seem like he gave a single shit that he lost the title. Like, he was all smiley and like, I uh, still stole the show. Like, kind of no selling that he just lost the title. Like, I just want him to be... And, like, kind of no-selling Flair, saying that he's, you know, a has-been or whatever. Like, I would have wished for him to be a little bit more shaken up by, 
by losing the title, like not be so smiley. I don't know. What did what, what did you think of that aspect of it, Steve? It kind of bothered me a bit. Um, I didn't think about that. I mean, I know. I mean, I know. Mm-hmm. But his whole, he was trying to get the point across. Is like you know, everyone thought he was, you know, right. that he was done, and you know that the like the summer like what we've seen from him was only like you know that it was clear his time was coming but you know he wanted to prove that he was still the you know the showstopper and everything and yeah it was, it was weird because you figure since he lost the title he would be the first the first one in line to get a rematch but considering what we saw earlier that they're clearly setting up something with triple h and steiner um it was clear that you know a rematch for sean was not going to happen so it's like what is what's he got you know what's he going to what's he going to do? So that's, I think that's why they can't have him come out and just say, you know, Oh, I may not be champion anymore, but I'm still, I'm still the man. I'm still the showstopper. I'm still, I'm not the has been that, you know, flair thought I was. And I think it was more just to kind of set up what was, uh, who was, you know, set up what was about to come next with who, the guy that comes out to interrupt him. Right. For sure. So as he's going on through all this and saying that he's, you know, he proved that he's not washed up or anything. He wants to go through out of five, uh, and instead of getting Triple H to come out, he actually gets Chris Jericho. I love the Jericho's opening line about um, <laughs> uh, "shut your mouth, jerky boy." Which at first I thought of it like it took me a second to realize what he was going for. Which I guess he was saying like instead of "sexy boy," like he's a jerk. But all I could think of was like beef jerky. So at first I thought <laughs> he was calling him, like a beef jerky boy. But uh, good Jericho line. He says he's better than him in every way, and he is the true sexy boy. King, I tell you, King and Jr. are going um, are really needling each other. So King is like it's like trolling Jr. about um, who, who as they're talking about this, he asked Jr. who he thinks is sexier, and Jr. doesn't want to say it. He's like, I don't think I'm the right person to ask. And like King's like, oh, so you think uh, Jericho's sexy then? And like Jr. keeps like uh, trying to to you know distance himself from it. It's just kind of a funny little background. But anyway, Jericho then kind of tones it down and goes away from the silliness and says that last night was sad to watch. The old Sean would have defied the odds and beaten Triple H despite everything that was against him with Flair, calls him a loser, and he's embarrassed because Sean was the reason he became a wrestler, and he's not the showstopper anymore because the show is over. And instead of the heartbreak kid, he is the has-been kid. And um, for his um, for a smart mouth, uh, Sean hits him with the sweet chin music right after he calls him the has-been kid. But um, I thought this... Um, Jericho killed it here, I thought. A great promo. Uh, definitely seems like they're going to start aligning these two guys in a feud. I love the way he kind of mixed in his silly Jericho stuff with the jerky boy and the has-been kid, but also got real kind of serious for a mo- Like, if I could be serious for a moment. He got serious for a moment <laughs> and um, call it, like calling him a loser. And, you know, they are already starting to bring in this stuff about Sean maybe being like somebody who inspired him, which is obviously there's some truth to that. Um, as far as Jericho wanting to get into wrestling, these were the kind of guys he idolized. So he kind of nailed it on this promo. Like, you know, Sean was here or there with his, but I thought um, like after Jericho came out and you realize that they're going to maybe align these two and Jericho starts bringing that stuff. I, I wasn't too worried about Sean not being upset about the title anymore, but just a fantastic promo from Jericho. I thought, Oh yeah, this was, this was great. You can definitely, you know, that uh, once it was kind of, you know, word was going around backstage that Sean was probably going to be sticking around for a little bit, you know, longer than they expected. That uh, that Jericho was probably one of the first in line to say, "I want to feud with them," 
because you know we know that that he's you know heavily influenced was heavily influenced by Sean back you know when he was training to be a wrestler and he brought like you say brought that here in the promo about how you know he he idolized you know he he you know he nobody was he said he was that he was the most happy to see Sean come back and he was excited and then you know kind of you know playing around turning around saying about how he was disappointed saying you know like you said Sean's a loser and and like you said that you know he's no longer the heartbreak kid has been kid and then Sean gave him the sweet chin music and um yeah just all around great stuff and it's going to definitely be really fun seeing this feud build uh to the point when we finally do get the match and actually get to see them in the ring together Right. It, it really starts to get your wheels turned. I think, uh, you know, if you were watching it this time or going back through it where you see that he's going to stick around and your brain starts turning like all the matchups that you never saw, like all the guys who are around now, like we kind of got teased and disappointed with it, like with RVD, but you hear and you're like, man, a Jericho Sean feud, like who would have thought you would ever get that? Like in 1998, who would have thought that would ever actually happen? And now this stuff is happening. It's kind of a, and I've said it before, but it kind of ends up being kind of the story of his second run is a lot of these sort of things. But it's real cool that it's actually starting to happen. So good stuff from Jericho. Um, he came in clutch there. All right. But we'll um, we'll continue on and we're going to see Goldust versus Christian. So they're kind of um, because Goldust and Booker T won the titles. They're sort of splitting them into singles matches against the former champions who are looking to get their rematch. So um, Christian very frustrated going full heel early on in this match, like slapping Goldust in the back of the head. But the action here is really crisp from two guys who could, you know, are real good in ring. Uh, it's weird how like um, the ref here, like Goldust sets him up for the shattered dreams. It's it's always like a, a roll of the dice if the ref is going to care about the shattered dreams. Like sometimes they just let him do it. And then other times if it fits what they're trying to do in the match, the ref will like railroad him and stop him. And that's what the ref does here. Uh, he blocks him, which allows Christian to take advantage. And he ends up rolling Goldust up for the uh, the one, two, three with a little bit of assistance by um, holding onto the ropes. And obviously they're using this to build to a rematch between the two tag teams. But, you know, I, I gave this a good solid two, just a few minutes of crisp action until Christian kind of cheats to uh, to get the win here. But uh, two guys that could go just getting this uh, some good action for a couple of minutes. Yeah, I agree. I went um, I went one and three quarters. Um, just like you said, crisp action. Uh, Goldust has been really uh, impressing, uh, pressing me over this last year with how good he is in the ring. And it's it's funny because you because I know uh, that to kind of talk about it, we're obviously our uh, stretch projects for PTB. We're going to be revisiting mm-hmm. our GWE uh, wrestler list from five years ago, and I know that he's been like a hot topic. Um, the last couple, like last few, last few times it's been brought up about like how his, uh, you know, how high does he end up going because of his character and his, you know, in ring work. And, um, one of the reasons I, I think we're do where we're, we're, we're visiting this now is because of shows like this, where we kind of see his progression throughout the year and you kind of realize, you know, he did have a really good year. And, you know, if that, you know, helps him out a lot, Compared to, you know, how he was in like 95, 96, where his character was on point, but his in-ring was a bit shaky. Whereas here, you know, his character still, his character is not as, you know, um, edgy as it was, but his in-ring work is definitely improved. So um, he's definitely, uh, I think, one of those guys that merits some discussion for how high he goes. And Christian is, you know, as solid as he is now, um, as he usually is. And 
I, I didn't mind Christian winning cheap. You know, you got to build some heat for him and Jericho going into the tag title match next week. So, um, you know, it was, it was fine. I mean, he's pretty much lying in the corner with, you know, in the pin. So, I mean, there's right. no way, unfortunately, no way Goldust was getting out of it. So, yeah, just another really, um, you know, solid, you know, short match and definitely built some heat for the, the re- for the, t- for the tag title match next week. Definitely. Yeah, and I'll say about Goldust's character too. Like we saw it earlier, he it's definitely not he's not that enigma he was like his early Goldust, but he's still I like how they've kept his weirdness and like kind of like how odd he is, but also made him a little bit more of like he seems more of like a real person a little bit. I don't know how to say, you know, like he acts more like you know he's talking to booker t he's just they've kind of pivoted him to just being like kind of a quirky weird kind of dude that can get serious like he did earlier but yeah i like the cold dust so too run he's been very good anyway all right we'll go to eric bischoff who is uh backstage kissing triple h's ass and trying to convince him to do the ceremony now rather than the main event but triple h knows what he's up to he's wise to it and he calls um he knows that he's just trying to um he doesn't want him to take Steiner's spot. He calls Steiner a jack, jacked up trash that can't hold his jock. You know, essentially like he's called everyone else uh, so far that I feel like he's used the can't hold his jock line like 14 times in this uh, in Lato too. But anyway, he says that if Steiner gets the spot, he will walk out like Steve Austin. So I kind of alluded to this moment earlier, but um, they kind of do it as if it'd be sort of a work shoot promo. But I don't think it's any shock that stone that they kind of know austin's coming back and they start working his name back in mm-hmm. yeah this was uh pretty pretty basic you know stuff from triple h at this point you know i'm better than everybody else and i'm the only guy that deserves a main event spot so yeah basic stuff yep setting up the tension between those two uh we then go quickly to flair who gives batista in three minute warning a pep talk for that match later nothing real much going on there and then we see uh, Chief Morley desperately trying to find Scott Steiner to try and remedy this situation. So obviously the big through line throughout the show is the Steiner Triple H um, being invited to the same date. All right. So we will um, we'll, we'll carry on and we get uh, Kane and RVD speaking to coach about their upcoming uh, handicap match later tonight where they're going to be facing Batista in three minute warning. Kane is pissed off about it, and Rob keeps trying to calm him down. Uh, they do this whole thing where um, Kane will be fired up and say something, and Rob gives his like more subdued, like stoner version of Kane's comments. Like uh, Kane will say, "I want to beat their ass," and then Rob says something like, uh, "Kane wants to settle this in the spirit of competition." So, uh, but you definitely see them starting to, to tie these guys together. It, it is funny that they're both kind of the the Triple H like squash these dudes and now they're being tag team. They're like the Triple H uh, victims teaming up now. It's kind of funny. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, that's definitely, I know that was a, the feeling a lot of fans had. Um, I kind of view it more as uh, this is the, the results of getting rid of the intercontinental title back in October. Mm-hmm. It's like now these guys have nothing more better to do. So let's just throw them together in a tag team. So I mean, it's a very interesting dynamic between the two of them, mm-hmm. and we'll kind of see, you know, see that grow over the months. But uh, yeah, definitely, uh, kind of a little bit of awkwardness between the two of, between the two of them at first. But we'll def, but I think we'll see the uh, the chemistry between them actually kind of get better. Yeah, Kane is like the perfect guy 
or like they always go back to that well of like put him with somebody that seems like a little bit of an odd couple, like him and RVD, him and X-Pac, like him and Daniel Bryan later down the road. Like it's definitely something that they've, and to their credit, I mean, it usually does work pretty well. So I can see why they go back to it, but it definitely is something that it, a formula that they tend to, they, um, they lean on a bit. But yeah, it is a cool dynamic with Rob kind of being the athletic guy and Kane the powerhouse and their personalities. Kane is like fire and brimstone and Rob is this mellow stoner dude. I, I can I can get behind it. Maybe like a um, Booker T and Goldust, like another version of that sort of odd couple tag team. But uh, like they mentioned, they're going to be in a handicap match against Batista in three-minute warning. Uh, the three-minute warning hammer on Rob while Kane is kind of waiting in the corner. Uh, good hope spots by Rob, like he usually has. He hits the rolling thunder and then does a, like a uh, backflip off the top rope. Kane finally gets tagged in, unloads on everybody. And I have to say, like, he, you know, he did have a pretty major injury uh, early in the year that kept him out for quite a while, but he really hasn't lost a step. You're still in, I think most would consider this sort of era as Kane's like prime as in ring as a wrestler. And he still got it. I mean, he has some great fire. He's, you know, a lot of energy in these matches. Like the injury has not slowed him down. He's still, I'm still enjoying uh, this version of Kane quite a bit in ring. But uh, he wins with the, uh, <laughs> he wins with the, uh, the choke slam on Jamal. I think it was Jamal. I, I believe because yeah, I think it's you know he's obviously the one that's getting the uh, possibly the punishment. But yeah, at this point, I was kind of. You know, not knowing the backstage stuff, but I think if you're just watching, you would be like, man, three-minute warning are really plummeting. Like, they just seem like fodder here. Like, a good way to build the new tag team. Uh, I didn't really even understand why Batista was in the match. I feel like he didn't do a whole lot. I don't, it seems like you just have Kane and RVD go in there and squash three-minute warning if that's what you want to do to build them up. It just felt like Batista was there for nothing. I feel like maybe... You know, I think protect Batista a little bit more and not have him affiliate. I know he and Kane have their deal, but I would just keep him away from <laughs> three-minute warning who are sort of being used as jobbers. But I thought it was two – I gave it two stars. I thought it was fun. I thought Kane and RVD worked well as a tag team, and uh, three-minute warning did their role decently well. So two for me, Steve. Yeah, I went two as well. And it was kind of interesting having Batista in the match with three minute warning. And we kind of, you kind of alluded to it when uh, Flair, when they were backstage, Flair was, you know, basically telling three minute warning, like, listen to me, listen to Batista. He's the leader. Follow his, his, you know, lead and we'll win. And you kind of notice throughout the match, um, like Batista's, you know, starts off strong, but then after he tags out, uh, Jamal and Rosie just kind of keep tagging each other in. You know, just because mm-hmm. that's what they're used to as a tag team. And, you know, you see Batista and Flair get frustrated. It's like, you know, because they keep wanting to tag in and they, they don't get tagged in. At one point, Batista walks out. And uh, that kind of leads to uh, the beginning of the end for three-minute warning. And, yeah, it's it's really sad how far three-minute warning have fallen since they debuted. And, you know, obviously part of it's because of, you know, what's going on backstage with Jamal and, you know, that, that issue. But, um yeah, it's just I think it was more just to kind of give Kane and RVD a win, and um, like you said, it was just like if Batista's not going to be a factor in the match, why well, have him in the match at all? Maybe it's just to kind of do this whole thing of him walking out so that he and Kane, um, so that Kane can't get at him again after what happened the night before in Armageddon, and you know it's just just really uh, bizarre how they booked that. But if any if anything, it did kind of give Kane and RVD a, a big win and kind of show that they may become mm-hmm. a future. Uh, force as a as a tag team right yeah, it is a bummer with three minute warning because 
they do seem to be shoring up the tag division a bit between, you know, what Book, Booker T and Gold does. I don't know how long Christian and Jericho will be around because it looks like Jericho's got bigger fish to fry, but they at least seem to have some semblance of a tag division, which early in the year they really didn't have anything. So it is a bummer. They seem like they were going to sort of be a centerpiece of the tag division, but um, unfortunately the, the out of the ring stuff has kind of derailed it. Um, and speaking of that, some more tag teams as we go. Like Raw went from being the show with no tag division to nothing but tag matches somehow in the span of like six months. Uh, as we go to the Dudleys versus Regal and Storm, this is, um, you know, I will say we talked about Armageddon, but they did a pretty good job in that four-way tag match of kind of setting these guys up because now you sort of have two feuds stemming from this because you had the Dudleys and Regal and Storm as well as the uh, Christian and Jericho against the champions. So uh, it kind of goes off of that. But a big clear-out by the Dudleys to start. Big uh, shine sequence for the Dudleys right out of the gate to get the crowd into it. Finally, Storm is able to kind of bail Regal out and pull him out of harm's way, and they use that to get the advantage. Good contrast between these two teams. I thought like the tech, like the technically sound work of uh, Regal and Storm versus the Wild Brawlers, the Dudleys. Uh, Bubba keeps trying to fight fight through, but the heels do a great job like cutting off the ring. You get some classic Regal stuff here. I think they even mentioned on commentary like he's run, doing the knee lifts, and I was really happy to see Regal and Storm get a match. Like a, ma- a TV match that goes for more than like 90 seconds because it seems like that's what these guys are built for. I mean, I don't know if you just want Regal and Storm in these two-minute matches. Like give them a chance to go out there and really do their style, and I thought they did here. Um, like just giving these tag matches a little bit more time to cook, uh, which has been sort of a, one of my pet peeves of Raw. It's not – you know, one of my critiques is not letting the matches breathe as much, but uh, they end up surviving the 3D, and in the chaos, Regal is able to get the Nux out and hit Bubba uh, with it to pick up the cheap win. But another solid match on this night. I actually went a tick higher than a lot of these. I went two and a half just because I love the I like the dynamic. I always love Regal when he really gets to go in there and do his Regal stuff. The Dudleys were good. I thought it made sense to give Regal and Storm the win to keep them. Uh, they are building up this win streak thing, or uh, I think it's like Jr. is acting like they haven't, you know, like they're on this incredible winning streak. He's talking about this has been two months of dominance or something, which feels a little strong. But I do like that they're they're not just forgetting about them. So I went two and a half. I, I didn't mind this one. Yeah, I went um, two stars. Um, mm-hmm. it, it like you said, a good solid match and. Yeah, they've definitely been um, pumping Storm and Regal up as uh, potential contenders. Um, yeah, J- like you said, JR kind of mentioned, like, they've been on a seven-week winning streak, and it's like, well, yeah, but they lost the night before in Armageddon, so wouldn't that technically have ended it? So, um, unless they just kind of, you know, unless he just, I don't know if he corrected it, saying, oh, they've been, you know, they've been on a winning streak of, like, you know, just straight up one-on-one, you know, two, you know, with two mm-hmm. tag teams, so... Um, but yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny you mentioned about how like a f- like a few months we went from having like hardly any tag matches to now like a fully flushed tag division. Well, having the tag titles brought over to Raw back in the summer definitely mm-hmm. helped that. So right, um, right, right. Yeah, but um, yeah, just a fun you know good solid tag match and um, you know even though you know the Dudleys have definitely f- feel a little refreshed after being split up earlier in the year, um. You know, they feel like good, steady and veteran forces in the tag division. And, 
And they, they had some pretty good chemistry here with Storm and Regal. And yeah, Regal's been really uh, impressive these last couple of months in this team with Storm, just kind of displaying his, you know, ground and pound skills. And and Storm's been the good, you know, base for him. And and I think uh, they definitely deserve to win because you could, I think you could tell they're probably going to be the next challengers to Booker and Goldust. And they want to build up some momentum for them. And the Dudleys can, you know, they're bulletproof at this point, so they can just eat the loss and they'll still be really over. So uh, good, solid match. Good win for Storm and Regal. And it'll be interesting to see how they continue to develop into 2003 as potential title contenders and maybe even future champions. Right. I, I think good point about the Dudleys. Like, I think it's good to put them in more like the role player spot. Because I think if you just immediately like ascended them to the champs again, it would get a little like, you know, I, I think it helps that they're not being, you know, this being dominant. Like you said, there's sort of a veteran presence that could go out there. They have notoriety and it works. Uh, yeah. Uh, the next match, uh, maybe not so much. Uh, we're going to get <laughs> D'Lo versus uh, Jeff Hardy. This is what I call the Ryan Gray special. Ryan, uh, when he came on, showed his... Uh, his Sunday night heat and velocity rankings of uh, his favorite matches. As you've been watching those shows. And uh, this is apparently an angle that stems from uh, something that happened on heat. Plenty of heel stalling by D'Lo here. Like every time he gets a move, he starts posturing. Uh, and so he kind of works over Jeff and then, but Jeff's comeback just does not look great. He goes to make his comeback. Like he's always a guy that has a slim margin of error. Like he's always, <laughs> Like, seems like he's just an inch away from botching everything. But here, he looked particularly sloppy. Like, I just didn't think any of his stuff when he made his comeback look very good. He wins with the swan tom, but the ref doesn't see um, the the foot on the rope by D'Lo. And so it makes it seem as this this feud will continue. Just not a lot of excitement here. There was nothing really happening with D'Lo. And then Jeff's comeback was just... It was sloppy even by Jeff Hardy standards. And, and I'm not a Jeff Hardy hater or anything. But, um, yeah, I want to start on this, Steve. Not not great. Yeah, I want to I want to start in a quarter. Um, yeah, I didn't realize D'Lo was still around at this point. I thought I thought he was gone. Right. And um, well, he's, it, usually, it was, he's usually on heat. He's usually on heat. So. Well, well, yeah, they well, they mentioned that he I guess he did. He'd been doing commentary on heat, which I, I do not remember at all. And um, it was actually the night before on uh, the heap of uh, Armageddon. They had a match and like and the whole thing was like Jeff had um, had used the tights to to pin him. So that's, you know, where D'Lo kind of got his uh, was kind of got his. Um, issue with so that's why they have the rematch here and um yeah you could definitely tell that um again I'm, we mentioned earlier how uh losing the intercontinental title hurt guys like Kane and rvd and jeff's another guy where he just feels real aimless at this point and all that momentum he had back in july when he nearly took the undisputed title from the undertaker is completely gone and he's just you know a man with no direction and you know obviously his is issues backstage are not helping his cause and it's starting to really show here as he's getting a lot more sloppy and uh just not uh just just not good where he is and um i, I don't <laughs> it's funny it's like we don't see d'lo for so long and now all of a sudden they're like you know doing this whole angle it's like you know the jeff's you know steals the win the night before with using the tights and now he wins again but the ref misses deal getting his foot on the rope and it's just really weird like like he's so like D'Lo's been in such obscurity. Now all of a sudden he's getting this little mini push again on Raw, and uh, and it's, he probably I'm, I'm sure he doesn't stick around because I think on uh, 
on TNA mm-hmm. Never Dies. They're in February of 03, and he just he had just debuted there, so he's not, you know, or gonna be around much longer. So it's just really weird that he's getting this like little mini like re- like push out of nowhere, and it's really not even that good of a that good because he feels so right. dated. Unfortunately, <laughs> it's like he's been around since. Since nine, you know, late ninety six, early ninety seven, and his his peaks like long gone, and he's just been, you know, bouncing around back and forth, and he just feels so out of place, and it's like, you know, just just yeah, not good for either guy. You 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 don't you're not surprised why neither guy lasts much longer into two thousand three. Right, honestly, it, yeah, it was just kind of a depressing match to watch on it. Like Jeff's in a bad place. Dilo just seems like he's. It just in you know in flux. They just throwing him out there. It's just it's kind of a bummer of a match. So uh, all right, so we had the flare. He tries to tell Steiner that this is going to be Triple H's night. Uh, I love Scott Steiner here doing the uh, the resistance bands while Flair's talking to him. Just completely no selling everything he says. Just working on his arms, and uh, he finally gets pushed over there when Flair, Flair says that he's half the man, and so he throws Flair up against the wall and kind of threatens him. Uh, any, any thoughts on this? Just pretty, just continuing the tension here. Yeah, kind of funny that, uh, you know, that's at the tail end of WCW, Steiner and Flair were allies in the that, what was that group? Like the Magnificent Seven or whatever. And now all of a sudden, Flair's, <laughs> right, yeah. trying, Flair's telling, trying to tell Steiner that, you know, he's not the man that Triple H is. And yes, you thought, yeah, the look on Flair's face when Steiner brushes him up and pushes him up against the door, he's like scared to death, scared shitless. <laughs> and he, he like just like slowly backs his way out the door. Yeah, just, uh, you know, good stuff here and just continuing the uh, potential, you know, you, the, what's going to be the inevitable showdown with Triple H and Steiner. All right, we then head to Stacy, who tells Tess he is going to be the new spokesman for Bodman, which brought me back. To, I kind of forgot about Bodman, that it was a thing. <laughs> but quickly, uh, Axe would just completely destroy Bodman. Axe became like the uh, whatever men's body spray of the 2000s. So uh, Bodman would never really <laughs> ascend in the <laughs> rankings. But anyway, uh, she tells him it will smell good on his testicles. And then we see that Raven is lurking behind a truck. Raven, of course, was fired or something a few months ago or whatever. So maybe he's <laughs> going to come back to get revenge on tests or yeah. something. <laughs> yeah, that just seemed, yeah, again, just seemed really, well, yeah, just seemed random. Like, well, first the interaction with Tess and Stacy, where, like, she sprays his, you know, his abs and, and you know, he's like, oh, it smells good on my abs. Well, it smells even better on my testicles. I mean, it's like, just such, uh-huh. so awkward. And then, yeah, just like, you're even another guy who's been, who was, like, relegated to heat and, you know, was kind of doing his own thing and now just kind of like popping up out of nowhere. And another guy that's not, you know, around much longer, kind of just showing up, showing up again out of nowhere. It's just, it's really weird. These, these guys who have, you know, spent most of O2 either on heat or not doing anything. And now is like the year's ending and O3 is about to start now showing up at, just showing up out of nowhere, especially like, obviously we know what's going to happen with them. They're not even going to last much long into 2003. So it's just really, really weird. Just like that, so, that, tra- that transitional yeah. period of the, like the end of the year into the new year that we usually get, but like, they're doing it with like the weirdest guys. Sunday night heat is like the, uh, the forbidden door to TNA. Like it's like the, <laughs> the port, the T the TNA portal. Once you go to heat pretty soon, you're going to be on TNA. 
uh, yeah. this era. <laughs> anyway, right. and then uh, before we get to Jericho's match, he uh, vents about Sean just to kind of keep that fresh in our minds before he hits the ring to face Booker T. So this will be part two of the uh, the singles matches between the two tag teams. Uh, similar to the, the match before, I think, like, lots of Jericho play in the heel uh, cool counter as Booker T jumps into the cradle in the walls. I thought that was a really awesome spot. Jericho gets his own counter and rolls him up. Really hard hitting stuff from both guys here. Uh, he gets uh, Jericho gets his foot on the rope from the bookend to uh, save himself. Christian ends up running in, and for some reason it's not a DQ. Then Goldust shows up. He starts running in. Somehow still not a DQ, but um, then he but then the ref does ring the bell and finally has had enough. And then it's Booker T ends up winning, I guess, because Christian interfered first. But it was a fun match before the nonsense at the end. It does it doesn't surprise me that. They wouldn't want Jericho or Booker to take a pin here because they're obviously the, the more, you know that. How do you say this? Like the uh, the alphas in their uh, in their tag team. So, but I thought the stuff before was good. There was some cool counter moments. Like I said, I like that um, Booker T uh, reversing the the uh, the walls into a cradle was real cool. And um, you know, it was just similar sort of vibe as the the earlier match with Christian and Goldust, but just a little bit more little bit more juice to it so i end up going two and a half on this one steve uh yeah i went two and a half as well i i, I love how uh like you said jericho rants about sean and then they go to a commercial break while he's ranting it reminded me of when uh in 98 when he was like listing off all his like his holds to um to mock malenko and like while he's in the middle of the like listing them off they go to break and then he comes back when they come back he's still listing them mm-hmm. off <laughs> kind of the same thing here he's ranting about sean and then they go to the break and he comes back and he's like finishing his rants um mm-hmm. yeah it's really crisp stuff by both guys um booker was really on fire at this point in ring and um he's really letting it show and jericho you know was also really you know on it on a real tear here um the ending was a bit confusing i think they meant to I think they meant to call for the bell after Christian immediately got involved, but I guess the ref missed it. So that's why there was like so much confusion. Like at like when he came out, and then when Goldust came out, and then like they like reveal the you know Booker won by DQ. I think they just missed missed it. But um yeah, really good stuff. Um again, like you said, don't want either guy to really take a pin because they're like the like you said, the two alphas of the team and just really um just a good, good good match here to put more heat on the uh, on the the title match next week, and hopefully the title the tag title match next week ends up being a really good match, and it'll mm-hmm. be interesting to see if they decide to keep running with Booker and Goldust or if they give it back to Jericho and Christian, which on the surface doesn't seem likely since they like you said they definitely want to they have plans for Jericho to move forward with this feud with Sean, but you know at this point you never know. Right. Yeah, I, I like that they have in, have they they've invested a good deal of time um, on this show into um, building that rematch for the tag titles, which is good. Like a lot of stuff as we we we're getting towards the end of this, I do feel like this raw feels like it's moving with a little more purpose than I've seen some of the more the raws in the past month or so, which is good. But um, all right, so we were gearing up for our, our main event uh, ceremony segment. Morley apologizes to Big Papa Pump backstage, asks him if he could hold off until next week, gives him the contract. Um, and I should mention he's got the chain mail on. So we have the the Scott Steiner chain mail on. 
Um, just want to put that on the record. Uh, surprisingly, uh, Scott Steiner says it's not going to be a problem. And it says that uh, it will be a moment that Triple H won't forget. So I really doubt that he's just going to let Triple H have the moment. I don't know about you, Steve. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah he's he's learning uh, <laughs> right. definitely learning uh, morally that uh, that false sense of security. So you you know Steiner's gonna do something. Of course. All right. So we head to the ring for our ceremony. Eric Bischoff brings a man quote who had done more for the business than anyone. So they really love pushing this whole uh, <laughs> this whole Triple H is the business and everything. We get a very cheesy like butt rock Triple H montage of all these various Triple H moments. Uh, then he gets on the mic. Triple H does and starts gloating. I've beaten everyone, all of the greats. And as he's getting to that, uh, Steiner comes in to interfere. So, of course, he's going to interrupt the ceremony and tells him that you haven't, you haven't beat me. And he wants a title shot or he's gone. Uh, Triple H then, of course, takes a dig at WCW uh, over here. Uh, and I don't know if they – I feel like they did this intentionally to be, like, ironic. But it is funny that Triple H tells him to, uh, you know, this is not like where you came from. You have to earn your shot, which is funny because he was given the belt. So, uh I think they're they're doing a good job of kind of playing into all this Triple H heel stuff. Big Papa Pump says he didn't come to start from the bottom and that Triple H is scared of him. He says if he's a game, he's a game with no balls. So I guess that would make him hockey, I guess, would be a game with no <laughs> balls. Um, Triple, Triple H says fine, but he's in an ocean now. So really Cameron home like – you know, all that WCW or Big Fish or the Small Pond, et cetera, et cetera. And Eric Bischoff officially sets the matchup for the rumble between these two. Steiner says he's the man and then calls Triple H a little bitch and says that he can have a free shot. And instead of hitting him, Triple H leaves. leaves. And then, of course, Scott Steiner ends it with his um, patented line of, you know, all my, where's all my freaks at? Holla if you hear me, et cetera, et cetera. And that's how we close the show, Steve. So um, what did you think of this um, this this heavily hyped uh, final segment here. Um, I thought it was pretty good. Um, yeah, all the uh, the glad handling for Triple H in the beginning, you know, with Bischoff giving the big introduction and then doing that video. Uh, you know, Triple H, you know, it's like, oh, it's, you know, I should be humble, but it's hard to be humble when you're me. And like you said, he said, you know, listing off all the guys he's beaten and. And then, you know, like I said, as we expected, Steiner comes out, says, oh, you've beaten, you may have beaten all those guys, but you haven't beat me. And, you know, saying like, you know, he's only going to come if he gets a title shot. And, you know, like you said, Triple H is getting all the digs in a WCW. And which is funny considering that, you know, Steiner really, if you watch his progression in WCW, kind of worked his way up to becoming the man um, right. in, in that promotion. And, you know, and Steiner kind of is like steadfast things like I'm, you know, I'm the man. I'm not starting from the bottom i either get my shot or i'm gone and then triple h kind of acquiesces finally and says you know you can give him a shot and then bishop makes it for the rumble and steiner says let's do it tonight and says you know and like you said offering excuse me offering triple h to give him the first shot and they have the stare down and then eventually triple h kind of backs away and you know kind of implying that you know he's you know he wants to do it on his you know when he on his terms and like you said steiner kind of get does his little phrase his phrases at the end and Steiner definitely felt very focused in this pro in this promo. It's, he wasn't rambling a lot like he tends to do with some of his promos. Um, it just really kind of gave you it, – it definitely felt like a big dream match because if you look at the tail end of WCW in 2000 into 2001, Steiner was like really hot. 
And mm-hmm. he was definitely a guy that a lot of people thought was, you know, kind of one of the highlights of the company. And, you know, there were all hence why when he, you know, when it was announced he was coming in, everyone was really excited. And, you know, you figure he was going to be on Raw and he was going to be a big player. And, you know, a match with him in Triple H for the world title definitely felt like a big time deal. And it was a big match for the Rumble because you figure maybe they would, uh, you know, uh, thought maybe they would build it to Mania. But the fact that they were going to put it out, the Rumble definitely um, made it feel like they wanted to get it, get it done early. So, yeah, it'll be, it will be interesting to see the progression of this feud um, in the weeks to come and to see how the match at the Rumble ends up, you know, going. But at the time, there was definitely some some pretty big hype for the match. And I think a lot of people were excited to see, you know, how these two would, um, would produce, produce in the ring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like them. I like that. There's no physicality. You know, they didn't come right out of the gate with some beat down or something. I, I like that. They kept them away. Yeah. I thought this was pretty effective. Like it's, you know, it maybe dragged a little bit. was kind of long, but that's kind of sort of expected. Uh, but yeah, I don't feel like Steiner looks out of his league here, even though that's all Triple H's promo is about. I think it works okay because he's saying all that, but like it doesn't come off like you feel like Triple H is right and like trying to bury the guy because I feel like Steiner can kind of hold his own because he's super over. Like we talked about it um, when me and JT did Survivor Series, but the pop is huge. Like he's over right when he debuts. Like you mm-hmm. said, he was, you know, one of the biggest deals at WCW towards the end, and he kind of holds his own, like his personality and physically, I think, too, is, you know, it's like Triple H should go in there and be like, oh, we're nothing compared to me. I mean, the guy's fucking enormous, so he's yeah. got that going for him, like his physical presence. So I do think this works pretty well. I mean, obviously, we have to see how the actual match would go, but I don't mind this to start their feud. Like, it's a good stare down. It's nothing amazing. I do think that the Steiner thing... It's sort of a, a, it has pros and cons. Like you said, he's controlled. Like, obviously, you don't want him to get too silly, which I think is good in a way because there's less risk. But I feel like with Steiner, it's also, you like, you're kind of putting a cap on him because I think sometimes he can be at his best when he's at his most, like, absurd. So I do, like, like, I don't, I do hope that they give him a little more leeway to be a little bit of weird Steiner. Cause I think that's when he can kind of be his most memorable and fun. And I think he's so over now that he can kind of do some of his crazier Scott Steiner stuff and the crowd would just eat it up. So I wonder if, as we get through more of this build, if they kind of kind of take the, the reins off him a little bit and let him be a little more like big Papa pump, you know, and Sandy, you know, he gets a few in here, like saying that you're the game with no balls and all. I thought that was some good big pop pump stuff, but I like to let them unleash a little bit and let him kind of have a triple H and, and let loose a bit. So we'll see it. But yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't knock this. I didn't, there was not too much to dislike throughout this. I thought his all triple H's heel stuff made sense here. And when, when the guy he's talking to is really over, I don't think he's really hurting him much by saying, you know, WCW was a, a small pond and all that. It's just him being a heel. So, yeah, not a bad way to close the show. They built it well throughout the show, and um, I thought it delivered decently enough. So, uh, but that's where we will wrap up the show, Steve. I thought this was a, a, I felt like this is a little bit better of a raw than what I've been getting. It felt a little more focused, like things are being built, like give it a little bit more time to matches that should be. You still have a few sort of throwaway, like the D'Lo, Jeff Hardy stuff, but most of the stuff here, we had a lot of solid matches to pretty good matches, and they all seemed like they had a purpose. 
it felt like the show flowed a little bit better. You had two cool um, promo segments with the 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 Triple H Steiner stuff and the Jericho uh, HBK stuff was really good. So I'm actually going to go, even though we didn't get really any uh, great matches or anything like that, I'm still going to go six out of ten. I feel like this is a pretty clear step up from what I've been getting on Raw recently. So a pretty good show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm slightly mm-hmm. less. I'm at five and a half. Um, mm-hmm. Which, but like you said, it definitely feels um, compared to what we have seen, been watching over the last few weeks. It definitely feels like a major step up. Um, now that we're kind of past Armageddon and we're like focusing on, you know, the new year, we're beginning the build towards the Rumble and eventually towards WrestleMania. Um, I think they definitely want to get, you know, things very feel, make things feel very focused. Like you said, we got Triple H Steiner, um, this burgeoning thing with Sean and Jericho. Um, you know, the tag division is pretty, pretty stacked. We got, you know, Trish Victoria, you know, like I said, we did kind of have a few kind of lingering things that feel kind of out of place. Like maybe Nowinski, Jeff and D'Lo, um, even kind of Kane RVD and Batista three minute warning. But I think uh, for the most part, um, we do have a pretty, they do have a pretty clear focus on what they want to have for raw going into 2003. And, um, we definitely it's going to be interesting to see how some of the stuff plays out as we hit hit uh, 2003. All right. All right. So we'll see if SmackDown could this be a week where uh, Raw actually takes it as the better show. It's it's been a rare occurrence throughout the pod, but, um, you know, not a bad Raw. So we'll see. All right. So December 19th, 02 SmackDown. We are still in Florida live from Tampa. I like that they do the uh, the stills. I like that even in this era, they're still doing the, you know, like the still images from the pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. That gives me some good good nostalgia feelings. But uh, Angle heads out to celebrate after his big win, after winning the championship from Big Show. He said he's won everything on his own, but he wants to thank Brock for having his back. Brock comes out and Kurt says that everyone wants to see them wrestle. And he did say that he would give him a shot. And so any place, any time, of course, Brock says that he wants it tonight in this arena. Uh, but Kurt says that next week would maybe be a little bit better, which, of course, gets big boos. And they end up shaking on it. Uh, so that's how we start the show. Pretty basic stuff there. Um, we'll, we'll see how this – we also, I should mention, so they cut the big show. He's destroying the locker room, pissed at this whole thing because he feels like he should be getting his title shot. Uh, Paul tries to calm him down and assure him that he will get the first shot uh, as big show holds him up against the, uh, the wall by the face. So very angry giant here that thinks he's getting screwed over. So uh, what would you think of this whole, you know, aligning Kurt and Brock as possibly our next um, title match? I thought it was a good promo. Um, you, you kind of figure that, um, that Kurt Brock was definitely a match that everybody wanted to see. And, um, and it, it kind of, it's kind of funny. We kind of see, you know, we've seen these like few weeks about Kurt, you know, kind of ask, you know, asking Brock to help him against big show. And we saw it, you know, heavily at Armageddon and eventually Brock did help him and Kurt benefited by winning the title. And now Brock's like, you know, I hope to win. I want my title shot and angle kind of, I don't want to say leads him on, but it's like, you know, yeah, I, I want to be, I want to see, you know, see that match like everyone else does, but you know, I've already got a match plan tonight with Benoit and, you know, so let's do it next week and kind of, you know, Brock obviously is very disappointed and it's kind of interesting, an interesting through line that we'll see throughout the night. Uh, obviously we'll see it pay off, you know, later in the show, but um, yeah, definitely kind of, uh, yeah, you almost feel like angle has a little ulterior motive that he's like, mm-hmm. he's not being completely thor- thoroughly 
forthcoming with Brock. Um, and but Brock's, you know, is kind of, you know, and Brock's leery about it, but he still, you know, kind of trusts him because he wants, you know, just wants to get his title shot. And yeah, big, uh, that thing with uh, Big Show and Paul was also pretty good. It's like Paul says, you know, he has a contingency plan and everything's going to work out in the end. So, you know, it's it's a definitely very interesting through line throughout the night that uh, gets paid off really well, I think, as we'll see. Yeah, it's definitely, um, you know, it was like you could tell they were saving something for later. Like there was more to this. This was just going to be like the uh, sowing the seeds of what's to come a little later. So, mm-hmm. which is good. Um, both shows we saw in Raw, they did a good job with that. Maybe we'll get the same on SmackDown. All right, but we will head to our first match tonight, which is going to be uh, Billy Kidman versus Eddie Guerrero. Uh, this is just, I mean, I mean, Eddie is just awesome. As always, he moves so well. Everything he does is so fluid. Um, I like Kidman throughout this because Eddie kind of has the advantage early on. And Kidman just is just gets enough every time to stay alive. Like every time you think Eddie has him, he pulls out some move to slow Eddie down a bit and kind of um, keep himself in the match. Uh, he goes up to do the shooting star. Chavo pulls him down. And that allows Eddie to kind of take advantage and win the match. And um a, a very quick but also really entertaining match uh, between two guys. That it's an interesting matchup, not one you always think about, I think. But um, two guys, I think, that really work well together. I, I didn't go super high on them because they just didn't have a whole lot of time to put too much together, but I enjoyed what I saw. And it was a little surprising that uh, Kidman lost here, given that he is the Cruiserweight champ. But Eddie is kind of in that, um, like you said, the void left by the IC title. Eddie's clearly like an IC title, at least level contender. So I don't think it hurts Kidman a whole lot. And you also have the interference from Chavo. But a good old solid two for me. A lot of twos on in these shows for me, Steve. <laughs> I I went two and a quarter. I actually really liked mm-hmm. it. Um, you know, it's you know, it's funny because you said like Kidman's, you know, he's the cruiserweight champion, but he's kind of aimless at this point as champion. I mean, it seems like they're building this this feud with him and Chavo. Um so Chavo has like Eddie, Eddie kind of go in to, to soften Kidman up for him. And yeah, it's like, this is a pair you didn't see a lot of, like, I mean, they fought a few times at WCW, but you know, seeing it again here, both guys, you know, older Eddie's a lot more, you know, obviously I think better now that he was in uh 98 and um, yeah, they just went out and had a really fun sprint and uh, you kind of forget. It's kind of funny how, uh, you don't think of Kidman as this really great work rate guy, but he can really go when, if he wasn't kind of pigeonholed into the cruiserweight division, I, I think he's a guy that really could have uh, maybe, you know, stepped up and been a solid mid, you know, mid card, mid card guy. I mean, we, you know, he's, you know, definitely got, I mean, he's bigger than a typical cruiserweight. So I think he could have maybe pulled it off, but uh, you, like you said, Eddie's Eddie's just been on fire at this point. And he's a guy that um, when we talk about, GWWE is one I think um, I think has potential to be a really high-ranking guy when you look at his overall uh, his his overall stat you know status in the you know WWE especially during this time when he and Chavo were really on fire as a tag team and um, yeah I mean I, I get the like I said they build this thing with Kim and Chavo so Chavo screws them in the end and gives Eddie the win so um, not a tough that big of a loss for Kidman because he got screwed, but, um, definitely a really solid match. Yeah, I agree for sure. Uh, Kidman's a guy, it's, you like wonder if he came around like, uh, you know, about 10 years later, like 
like if his prime run was about 10 years later, how maybe it'd be different. He just strikes me as a guy that would really like, he would be sort of like your dear, not an indie guy, but you know, if that if he was in that next generation, I, I wonder what his, you know, how he would be viewed if it was more with those guys and, you know, the style that would become more popular. But anyway, it's a topic for a different day, but anyway, uh, all right. So Matt Hardy's backstage. You tell Stephanie, he was mauled by the Matt followers, uh, the short version would be the MFers, and that's why he has a black eye. But he insists that he's still able to compete with the with the black eye because he is that tough. So the just really an excuse to him to to throw MFers in there that his followers are called the MFers. <laughs> yeah, uh, he's he's. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll get to it later, but he's definitely been. Uh, he's kind of the opposite of Jeff, whereas Jeff feels very aimless and. Uh, directionless Matt's been really cooking with this uh this Manitou gimmick and it's kind of funny because you because mm-hmm. everyone thought when the the Hardy split up that Jeff would be the big star and Matt would get left behind and instead it's kind of the opposite effect going so good good for Matt right like Jeff's the one with all the charisma and stuff right like that was sort of the you know maybe the perception so. mm-hmm all right, so Cena comes out. He's doing his rap thing. He says some very offensive things about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, including a, uh, a homophobic slur that he hurls at them that would definitely not fly today. Uh, but it is funny that he would he would be burying the Tampa Bay Buccaneers since they would win the Super Bowl, I think, like a month from this. You know, they would win the Super Bowl. Like, we're in December. The playoffs were about to start. They would win the Super Bowl in early 03. So uh, reverse mush there by Cena. Maybe we can credit him with the Tampa Bay winning the Super Bowl. Uh, but he's going to be facing Chuck Palumbo, who has not been doing a whole lot lately. They push on commentary some salacious footage. So we're going to get even more salacious footage about Dawn and Tori. Uh, Palumbo has a hot start, but Cena, with the help of B2 interfering in the uh, – which I should mention, Cena has the jorts. I don't, I haven't been tracking. I know he's been wearing them, but he's wearing the jorts as his entering attire, so – we fully have the jorts, so he's really becoming the Cena that we would know and love. Palumbo gets a crossbody, but Cena rolls him and does the old rolling over on the crossbody. Uses the tights, of course, because he's a heel, and uh, he picks up the win. Uh, glorified, so I wouldn't call it a squash because Cena didn't really squash him. It was more like a heel getting beat down for the most part and then stealing the win at the end here because that's kind of the character that they're trying to do. This was just as much about getting him to come out and do the rap as it was about the match. Uh, but I do think his matches are more interesting, even though this was no great shakes or some Matt classic. I do think I found myself at least because of his character and him selling and, you know, trying to get the heat with the cheating and, you know, the crowd maybe wanting him to get beat up a little bit that it did make his matches more interesting when he was that just that super generic baby face. So I want to star for the match itself, but I think as, as far as being effective in, you know, continuing to build his character, I thought it was effective uh, in doing that job. Yeah, I went, um, I want to start one and a quarter on it. Um, it's definitely, he's very um, rough around the edges when it comes with this character. You can tell he's still kind of figuring, figuring it out. Um, yeah. That uh, some of the stuff he said in that rap definitely would not fly uh, in 2022. So I definitely agree with you on that. And um, 
Yeah, Palumbo is definitely very, uh, again, another guy who's just kind of aimless after uh, his tag run with Billy Gunn ended, and he's just been kind of spinning his wheels. So he's here to kind of, he's here just to be the guy to put Cena over uh, so he can continue his gimmick. And, you know, and, and again, just the these guys that don't fit anymore, because I don't know if you mentioned about after the match, Rikishi comes out and gets after Cena. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Because coming come playing off their, uh, I think they had that, the, uh, their battle rap the week before and yes. uh mm-hmm. yeah it's again just I, I mean again rikishi just looks so out of place but at least he's you know you know what the end game with this feud is that he's gonna put cena you know put cena over and it's just kind of a little stepping stone feud here for cena as he continues to build his cred going into 2003 so i i didn't have at least have an issue with that and like I said, the match was pretty much just nothing, but, um, you know, Palumbo getting a couple of moves in, but he puts Cena over eventually. So just, you know, decent stuff there. Yeah. Like I think, you know, like you said, Rikisha comes out, they hit him, um, like, uh, they, they're beating Chuck Palumbo in front of, they hit him with the chain. Rikishi comes to get some payback, but, uh, they end up beating Rikishi down. Uh, they beat him down and then Rikishi's going for the stink face and then, um, B2 saves Cena. So I do think Cena's, I mean, um, that Rikishi is a good pairing for Cena because Rikishi is kind of perpetually like beloved by the crowd. So I think it's him trying to establish a heel character. It's. You know, I think it's a solid choice for like a lower level feud just to kind of keep pushing him forward. So, all right. So after this, we get a. I'm not going to recap. I feel like I've spent a very decent amount of this podcast talking about this whole deal. So I'm not going to recap this all again. But we get a very, very extensive recap of the the Tory Dawn and Al uh, saga. It's honestly just an excuse for him to show all this stuff over again. Uh, they, it, like I just said, I've talked about it a bunch because they have really invested an insane amount of time into this entire angle. Like, um, like, and then at the end, they just sort of play a brief second of what we, uh, what we saw on the pay-per-view. So I guess that's our little taste of more salacious footage, but nothing different than what we saw at Armageddon. Um, so with that, so before we get into this, I have been covering this for quite a while now, but you have, you haven't been on in a while, Steve, would you like to give any general thoughts about the, uh, the Tory, the Tory Dawn Al, um, soap opera? Um, <laughs> all I can say is that, um, cause I actually, well, I, before I watched the two shows, I watched Armageddon just to kind of get a, you know, get a feel for, you know, kind of just watch that show again, just to, before going to these and. Holy shit! That uh, hotel footage was uh, was uh, quite something, and uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, Al is just such a oh, he's so bad. It's just so right. so bad. Um, yeah, and I like the whole like the because it's because like when you got Cole and Tash just ripping him to shreds for how bad he is, you know what kind of uh, how bad he really is, and. Um, yeah, like, like you said, they just kind of recap everything that's gone on, and then we get, uh, you know, Tori get doing an interview where she kind of like says that, and then what he kind of says like, you know, she's done with it now, she's done with everything. Like if he right. wants, if that's what he, if that's what he wants, you know, she's not, you know, that's, you know, he's got, he's got to deal with it. And then you know, Alan Don come out, and she Don kind of continues her nagging, you know, kind of, uh, you know tearing a Tory and then saying that their uh that their wedding's gonna be in two weeks and um <laughs> that obviously I I remember how the wedding goes. I'm not gonna spoil anything, mm-hmm. but uh 
I, I, I just, I'll just say, I feel, um, for you and whoever the guest is that has to talk about that, get ready because it's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be something. So, yeah, just, um, yeah, kind of what, just very uh, weird stuff. And it, uh, I think just the <laughs> the fi- the, uh, the the thing you just have is that you know that Tory Don segment of the hotel was hot, and Al Wilson is a putz. Yeah, yes. Uh, as I've covered a lot, that uh, Taz, the Taz burials of him are some of the highlights of these two. Uh, so, so let, let's go through this in detail. So we have Tori here now via satellite in Boise, Idaho at her, at their mom. I think they say her mom's house, but it's like, obviously like a hotel room or something like, right, I yeah. can't imagine, <laughs> like, I can't imagine her mom's house looks like this. She says that she's not humiliated. She is proud because it proves that, that she, I love my father so much that I would do anything. So, um, it's a, that's an interesting viewpoint of this story that uh, that, that having a um, a lesbian tryst in a hotel room is uh, what you would do for your father. But anyway, uh, she's ashamed. But she is ashamed of her father. She tries to cry here. Uh, you know, we've talked about they're putting her in a tough position. She's not like an Oscar-winning actress, but she tries to like show emotion and sort of cry. She sort of does a little bit, but not really. She says that she is certainly sexual, but she is not a predator. And we get an awkward ending to this first part because Cole just kind of cuts it off. And like, it really doesn't seem like Tori's talking to them live here. It, it kind of seems pre-recorded, but I guess she is because the next part, I don't know, is weird. Like Cole just cuts her off. Like, ah, yes, we certainly agree with you there, Tori. And like, they just move on and she doesn't really like react to him. So that was kind of weird. And then, as you said, Dawn and Tor and Al come out, um, they called, she calls Tori a nympho and that her and Al respect each other and would never lie to each other. They always have things to talk about from breakfast to their late night sexual encounters. She has never seen a more virile man. That's such a Vince word, virile. <laughs> uh, a, a, a virile man. That's such a Vince thing. But anyway, uh, she says when SmackDown is in Albuquerque, they're going to tie the knot. So that is where they will be going. And we get a good Taz line to, uh, as this closes out, he says, of course, Albuquerque, the honeymoon capital of the world, or like the wedding capital of the world, uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. So that was a great one. And of course, Corey storms off in disgust. So I'm um, just pushing us along into the next chapter. We get, you know, more awkward Al, more upset Tori, more Dawn trying to mess with Tori. And we see that the next, we will now be heading to the wedding. So uh, the the story goes on, days of our lives. What more yeah. can you say? Like sand, like <laughs> sand through the hourglass. <laughs> right. <laughs> of course. Of course. All right. So we'll, we'll find out what happens in Albuquerque, but we'll now head to the ring for, um, Brock, which this is going to be his kind of his entering return after this little hiatus. He's obviously been around, but he hasn't really had a match in quite a while since, um, you know, since his injury and dropping the belt to um, to Big Show and everything. But we believe he's going to be facing Matt Hardy. Uh, Matt comes out does the full Matt uh, 1.0 entrance, which our Matt facts are that he uh, wrestled in four. He has wrestled in 44 states. Uh, but Matt reveals to us that he got something in his eye, so his. Um, his uh what do you call that his um his mf uh, his, his, his mentee his protege shannon moore will replace him and uh moore looks very surprised and scared of what's going to happen to him so he goes in and this is just a ridiculous beating uh particularly the um 
So, you know, it's just Brock kind of throwing him around. But then Brock goes to belly to belly him and just belly to belly him over the top rope out of the ring. Just an insane bump, like lands right on his tailbone. Like Taz and Cole lose it. Like, you know, kudos to Shana Moore. I mean, Brock is just a freak. And Shana Moore for taking that bump, you know, what a champ. I mean, it certainly made me remember him on this. Like, and then he goes back in and takes the F5. And it's like an insane F5 where it looked like he did like a 720 rotation. Like he just spun like a helicopter off the F5. It was like a, uh, it's like Brock charged up for that F5 and just launched him. Like what, I mean, it was a squash, but this was a hell of a squash. And kudos to, to, to Shannon Moore for doing this. Um, I went two and a half. I usually give a squash like a one, but just for the bumps that Shannon Moore took in this and Brock looking like a complete monster in his return, I bumped this up two and a half, two and a half. This is like one of the best squashes I've ever seen in my entire life. This was incredible. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I only went one just because it was a squash. Right, but, right, um, right. but yeah, so obviously Matt continuing the great, uh, you know, like I said, the great heel work. Um I kind of now kind of interested to know what six states he's not wrestled in, because uh, it says he wrestled in forty four of them. Like, what are the six he hasn't wrestled right. in? I would imagine probably Alaska, Hawaii, and um, you know, then we'll have to figure out the other four. But uh, yeah, I love how it's like, you know, he goes to the stuff and he says like, oh, he got the black guy from you know from his fans, <laughs> and now he comes out and he says like, oh, he got something in his other good eyes, so now he's completely like blinded, <laughs> he can't wrestle. So then he basically throws. Uh, Throw Shannon into the wolves and um, yeah, that that uh, belly to belly over the ropes. I was like, holy, holy shit! How did Shannon not? I wonder if because uh, it looked. I don't know if Matt was supposed to catch him and he forgot, or he's like he intentionally like moved out of the way just so he didn't get you know hurt. But uh, but yeah, that um, yeah, but yeah, more landed with a, just a splat on the floor, which is nasty. And then yeah, that uh, that F five is like because Brock didn't do that often where he did like the spin around before he, you know, hit the move. So mm-hmm. it made it just look all the more impressive, especially on a guy like more. Um, and yeah, then of course, uh, you know, Matt tries to, you know, console him and then he gets the F five for his trouble. So he gets, gets it in the end. But um, yeah, just a great um, kind of rebuilding here for Brock um, showing him off as a monster. And like you said, kudos to Shannon for those, uh, for taking those bumps um, like a champ. So yeah, just great stuff all around. Yeah. It would be a great, uh, follow up if like next week he came out and it told you the six States that he didn't wrestle in. <laughs> um, I'll be on the lookout, but, um, and so after the match, Matt Hardy berates Shannon Moore for losing. So Brock sneaks up on Matt and Matt ends up getting an F5 anyway, so he cannot escape Brock, but yeah, just a dominant return for Brock. He looked excellent. So, all right, so we now go backstage. Kurt's talking to Stephanie, and he says that he's ready to face Brock next week. And she tells him she seems to be kind of um, giving him the side eye, and she tells him to go out and set the record straight. Uh, so we're wondering what she's um, alluding to. So we head to the ring. Brock uh, Kurt goes out there and says that he's if he has to, he'll face Benoit and Brock at the same time since um, you know Brock was a former champion. He's kind of been feuding with Benoit. And he reveals that he has hired a management team to handle his business now that he's champion. And it's revealed that that management team, the head of it, is Paul Heyman. Big booze. Cole, Michael Cole is disgusted. 
they even um I thought it was a cool touch even Taz is kind of like and they play into the Taz knows Heyman like thinks Heyman's like a scumbag from working at ECW but uh even Taz thinks that this is um not that Taz is usually heel but he's you know kind of Taz usually does the whole like sympathizes with the heel sometimes but even he's sort of disgusted this is all very complicated though like you know you're better off almost not even trying to think how all this work like he got brock suspended so that brock can get reinstated and then cost big show the match so he can get it off a of big show and then give it to kurt um you know and then he can make sure brock doesn't get a title shot it's all real convoluted but i kind of just hand wave it because it doesn't matter because now it's going to probably set up Kurt and Brock, which if that's what we're getting to, whatever, that's fine with me. If we're going to, you know, you know, let big show be like second wheel, second banana and let Kurt elevate and be feuding with Brock. Then you know what, whatever kind of convoluted bullshit they have to do to justify it. I really don't even care. I don't know how you feel, Steve. Um, yeah, at first you kind of like you raise an you kind of raising an eyebrow with this because it's like, well, what like what's really going on? And I think uh, it's more just uh, Paul screwing, you know, continuing to screw with Brock, and you know he got you know he got the Kurt, and they laid out this whole big plan. And it's what's weird is that Big Show looks like a complete putz because mm-hmm. you know because it's like he come because he comes out and he's you know, kind of pissed off. He's like you know you know you like you're double dealing behind my back and you cost me the belt and you know and paul kind of uses his you know sharp tongue to kind of say oh well we'll show you may not be champion but you're still my favorite clients and right. you know it's like and he's like you know kind of put saying like this is all you know they need to all work together so that they can keep brock away from the tile and big show just eventually kind of like goes along with it it's like right because we mentioned about and on raw about how sean was like how sean felt uh kind of like nonchalant about losing the title well here it's like well and here it's even worse it's like big show got screwed out of it by brock and and in essence paul and kurt and instead of like being upset about it he's like oh well he just ends up going along with the plan i think they they make it, you know, kind of say like, oh, well, you'll get your tile shot. You'll get the tile shot next week because because Paul mentions that uh, that Kurt is going to, you know, open the face to anyone except Brock Lesnar. So now Brock's, you know, out of got, has lost his shot and now show's going to get it next week. And uh-huh. the impetus that kind of mentions that no matter what happens, Paul's going to be the ultimate winner because he gets to manage the champion and he keeps it keeps Brock away from the title. So. It kind of works out in the end, so you know you got this little. Uh, I, I love how they call it like the Heyman family, like this right. little like contingent here, just with one goal, and that's basically to keep the, the WWE the title off of uh, Brock. So, it, like you say, you kind of sh- you shake your head in the beginning, but it works out in the end because you know what their ultimate goal is. Yeah, it's like you know, Big Show's not going to end up winning. It's like like you said, he just looks like kind of a goober, even though he is going to get the shot. Like. Come on, Big Show. You really think he's going to let you? It's like he wanted you to have the title. Who just kept it on you? I know it's whatever. So Brock can't get it. Blah blah blah. But you know they just. It's like you're just a stooge, Big Show. And I have to give the Big Show uh, fashion update. He's dressed horrible as usual. He's got like a thick knit sweater with his jeans, and yeah, he's not looking great. He he looks like he should be the lackey at this point. But yeah, you know all that. It's it's cool. I think. However long it lasts, Heyman and Kurt is a fun pairing because, um, 
you know, they can both talk. So it's not just like Paul talking for somebody, but kind of doing that dynamic where Paul can kind of play off of the guy because the other guy could talk too. But yeah, like I said, I don't really care as long as it's, you know, we're moving away from big show onto bigger, better things, whatever. I'm not going to sit here and try and find plot holes. It's, it's whatever, you know, the whole big show thing was just, you know, Brock got hurt and they had to find some way to kind of transition and get by for a little while. And they're past that. And here we are where they wanted to be like to your point early on raw, they're getting into this new year into the, you know, the real, you know, the hot stretch between building to rumble and then rumble mania. And so you can really feel them kind of moving past this whole transitional period of big show. But mm-hmm. all right. So we will move on to a, um, a tag match where uh, Jamie Noble is going to be uh, teaming with his recently debuted cousin Nunzio. And they're going to be facing the team of uh, Crash and Bill DeMott. So the, the Bill DeMott push has been on, unfortunately, for all of us. Uh, Bill DeMott doing his he's kind of doing his little Brock impression here, like tossing the little guys around. And this is a real weird match because it's like. Nunzio, they make this big deal on Nunzio. He debuts, and here he just kind of gets wrecked. And Noble too has been—I mean, he was been a pretty big part of SmackDown. He was a cruiserweight champion. Here he's just like, you know, he doesn't take the pin, but you know, Demott hits the moonsault on Nunzio, gets the win, and you immediately like, well, I guess Nunzio is not going to be much of a factor. Like he's going to be an afterthought because. He just got squashed. Like, Demont just, it almost felt like a handicap match because Crash didn't really even do that much. It was just like Bill Demont beating the shit out of Nunzio and Noble getting the win. Like, so I'm going to have to go <laughs> disapprove of that, uh, Steve. I'm going to give this one star for being a squash, but I do not want to see Bill Demont going over Jamie Noble. Jamie Noble is great, and Bill Demont is like a poor man's, I don't know, power guy. He's a lame character, and I don't like him. So. Disapprove. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I gave it. I only gave it half a star. Um, yeah, Demont. That's you know, been kind of giving this like little revival because of his you know appearance on Tough Enough, and so and talk about a uh, random tag teams. Him and Crash, who I again Crash, another guy I didn't even realize was still around, and Demont kind of came you know kind of came up to him and said kind of brought up about how hardcore was on the previous Tough Enough, so he kind of they have the kindred spirit, so they should team together, and. Uh, yeah, they made this whole big deal about Nunzio coming in and he's going to help Noble kind of break this like slide he's been on. And, and instead, they look like uh, they just look like jobbers. As and yeah, it was a handicap match because Crash didn't even tag in. Demont did all the did all mm-hmm. the work, and he pretty much just squashes Nunzio and Noble. And it's. <sighs> If, if you do feel bad for Noble because he had such a great run and then since losing the, the Cruiserweight title at Survivor Series, he's been on the slide, so they bring Nuncio in to, you know, be the guy that kind of get him back on track, and then they lose here to this, like, thrown-together team, which really wasn't even a team because Demott, you know, did everything, and then Demott just takes Crash out at the mm-hmm. end, Crash out at the end anyway. Right. So it's, it's just <laughs> yeah. really, it was really just a showcase for Demott, and you know, now, you know, it's like, you know, like you said, Nuncio's now you know, came in like like a big deal the week before, and now he's getting squashed like nothing, and it's just another loss for Noble, and it's just yeah, just just nothing, nothing good. And again, you just like like nothing against Demott, but it's like he is like there's like like why of all people he he's getting this like monster push all of a sudden. It just feels really weird. 
Like, like, was him yeah. on top of the like, He has, like, right. He has, like, negative charisma. Like, you know, I don't know how else to yeah. say it. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you when you said it, like, it, it, you summed it up well as to why I didn't like this. It was like a Demont showcase, which is, no, nah, I'm, I'm good. I don't need a built Demont showcase. You know, let's, let's not. Let's give me more Jamie Noble, uh, you know, showcases. Let me, give me more of that. I don't need. Yeah, it's weird. Um, I, I definitely of the two random big guy pushes, I'm much more in line with the A train one. I think I can get on board with more than the build a mot one. But yeah, like you said, he he beats up Crash after. So uh, anyway, right, we now see backstage interview of the cat. So I guess the cat uh, parlayed his um his one off run on commentary into an interviewing role here because he's interviewing Edge and uh. Really, the only highlight of this is Edge says something about, um, you better call your mom and tell her I'm going to beat A-Train's ass. So, kind of doing the playing off of the Cat song. So, that was funny. That popped me okay. Yeah, yeah. Cat kind of, because uh, I think uh, before he did Tough Enough, the bot was, was commentating on Velocity, and then well, and then Cat kind of took over that role. So, it's it's weird thing. All these these, random <laughs> guys, these guys getting, you know, doing commentary on the C shows, and all of a sudden they're getting, you know, showcased on like Raw and SmackDown. It's just so weird. I'm just imagining um, Bill DeMott or whatever leaving the commentary table, and the cat does his little dance into the chair, like, here's my opportunity. <laughs> doing this little uh, James Brown little shuffle. Yeah. All right. All right, so we're up to the match. It's going to be Edge versus A-Train, uh, rematch from uh, Armageddon. Um, this just, for me, is like a good win for Edge. Like, they built up Albert as a threat. Um, he's a good big man to go in there. He he moves well. He goes after the leg with the half crabs and stuff because they're play, still played up the Edge injury that A-Train caused. Uh, they he throws in some power moves. Like I like his kind of mix of working the leg and doing the power moves. Edge kind of fights valiantly and hits the spear to get the win. And um, yeah, just to be, it was just a good solid win for Edge to give him something to do. Now these kind of transitioning back out of the tag teams and being rebuilt as not rebuilt, but kind of moving back into the singles ranks and, you know, kind of who you would think would be his opponents are kind of tied up doing other things. So I don't mind A-Train. It's just like a monster that gets built up for Edge to kind of get a good win. No problem with that. I thought Edge looked good as the face here. Albert played his role. It wasn't like spectacular, but it was fine. And um, the last note I had is that that Edge dropkick is damn good. Like Edge has a really good uh, top rope dropkick. I really dig it. But I went right down the middle, two and a half for me. Served his purpose. Good work from both guys. No problems with this one. Yeah, I went um I went to an quarter, which is about I think what I had when I watched the match at Armageddon. Um mm-hmm. not really sure why they why they needed to have a rematch here, but um yeah, just a, kind of like another showcase win for Edge. Uh A Train looked really good, kind of like you said, going after the knee and focusing, you know, putting over his power moves and yeah, the, it definitely um feels like they're wanting to do something with Edge going into to, to, into two thousand three. Um, so they kind of give him this little like mini feud here with a train to get him back over again. Excuse me. And, um, yeah, it's not, it's, you know, I kind of funny that, you know, they really put in a lot of hype, you know, momentum behind a train to just to have him lose, you know, two big matches in a row to edge. But I think he's another guy that they definitely could see as like a potential, you know, solid mid card heel. Um, 
And obviously, you know, somebody that they want to have in the main event spot, because as we saw, he interfered in the, the Kurt Angle Big Show match at Armageddon. So, um, yeah, just again, another solid win for Edge as he uh, looks to potentially have a breakout year in 2003. Yep, for sure. All right. So after that, yeah. <laughs> Poor Josh Matthews here. So we see Josh Matthews backstage and he's waiting outside of Brock's locker room to try and get a word with him. And so he gives this entire like spiel, like exposition about like recapping everything that's been going on with Brock and how um, Kurt joined Paul Heyman, all this. Then they go to commercial. He comes back, pretty much gives the same whole speech twice about like, well, I just want to know how Brock feels about what's been going on with Heyman and blah, blah, blah. And then, so after all that, Brock comes out and like, just completely blows him off. Like he just <laughs> like gives him like a, a one line answer. Like, well, I think my actions will speak or something. And he just like, so he really gets absolutely no interview Poor Josh Matthews. Like he spoke 400 times more than Brock did as he's like recapping all this. I don't know. It just cracked me up that, Poor Josh Matthews couldn't get anything. He put a lot of work into his little um, his little spiel there. Yeah, well, it could have been worse. Brock could have laid him out. So, <laughs> the, right. you know, you know, yeah, he had some very uh, two thousand two hair too. Josh Matthews, he had like the the gelled up blowout looking thing, uh, straight up uh, like boy band <laughs> hairdo from Josh Matthews. Yeah. The frosted tips. <laughs> yes, of course. All right. Anyway, so we're going to go to our main event here, which um, they haven't. I, I didn't mention it because I don't feel like they talked about it a ton throughout the show for being a main event, but it's going to be Angle versus Benoit, uh, non title for this one. And they kind of play it that uh, this could be Benoit's chance. If he wins this one, he'll probably get a real title shot. So that whole trope. So uh, we start with some brief mat work. They start laying the strikes and the chops. Um, Kurt finally takes hold and kind of grinds Benoit down with the boots and throws him out where uh, he gets nailed with the belt, and that's where Kurt really gets the advantage. Uh, Benoit managed to get a slight hope spot here and goes and they do a double clothesline, so both of them are out. Um, I, I was thinking as we got through this, and, and obviously these guys are really good together, but they are, and I think this could be said for a decent amount of like the SmackDown six guys. These are just the last two as like everybody, like Ray is kind of injured, Edge is kind of doing something else now. But with these two guys, they have to be careful of, like, too much of a good thing. Like, I felt like when I was watching this match, I was like, oh, yeah, here we go. I ain't going Benoit again. Especially if they want to elevate it to, like, that world title level that they want to. I just think they have to be careful of doing this too much on TV to where it waters it down a bit. Like, I don't think it's at that point yet, but it did cross my mind during this match. Um, I will say, but Benoit fights back with the Germans and gets the cross face. And this is where we get the big show running. And then Brock comes out belly to bellies. Everyone throws Heyman in and nearly gets to have five him, but Angle ends up saving him. But so uh, we kind of get a non finish here, sort of a run in finish, but I, I thought it was a good match. Um, I really like Benoit's kind of toughness through this one, kind of fighting out all, all through all the kind of adversity. And I do, so I went three on the match itself like it was good but obviously not the greatest you're going to see from these guys um and the heels kind of stand tall after taking out brock but i think what i did like about this whole thing and putting them on this mix is i do dig the whole like that we have three people involved in here like you obviously it seems like 
Angle is set to face Brock, but then Benoit sort of earned it because he's been feuding and hanging with Angle this whole time. So you kind of have, you know, two possible contenders that both have issues with Angle. And I always, I, I sort of like sometimes when you have these different moving parts and all seems legitimate and, and every guy seems like they sort of belong. So I kind of dug that about it, but I don't think it's the greatest, obviously, Angle Benoit match you're ever going to see. But I think for the storyline, I think it served this purpose decently well. I, yeah, I agree. I went three stars as well. And you could definitely, t- I mean, I do get, I get your point about, um, you know, running these guys out too much as it becomes overkill and, you know, waters down mm-hmm. the waters it down. Um, I actually, th- I think they did just enough to where, mm-hmm. yeah, they, they, like they were clearly, it was clear. I think they were setting up Benoit as a potential contender for uh for kurt and for them to have a title match down the line somewhere so um that's why we got kind of the match we did obviously like you said they're you know still very crisp very fluid with all their moves um kind of playing up you know they bring up you know their past throughout the year the fact that benoit's hold holds two victories over kurt um they even bring up the fact that they were tag champions at one point um I didn't mind the finish because, like you said, you didn't want Angle to job um, clean. So have Big Show get involved um, to kind of take Benoit out. Then Brock comes out, lays them out, tries to get at Paul, but then he gets laid down. Actually, I think the show and Angle beating Brock down was really a good little you know, assault on him. And then I like how like Paul, like that visual of Paul standing tall with the title at the end, kind of like, you know, he's the because he's been the catalyst of this whole thing. And um, like you said, we get the heel standing tall. So I thought it was a good, really good match, um, just enough to where you want to see another match between the two. Um, you knew they were setting up for something bigger and just kind of a you know, nice little moment there for Angle showing Heyman at the end as they stand tall over Brock at the end, kind of showing off their dominance. Uh, and they really um, put over on commentary that Paul might be the most powerful man on SmackDown at this point because he's got the champion, Kurt. He's got Big Show as his muscle, and he's kind of holding all the cards at this point. So nice little... Uh, progression of that that story going into uh to 2003 i thought yeah pretty good um endings to both shows i thought like really establishing their where they're going like real focused on what their main event scene is going to be so yeah um, not bad so uh, solid show for smackdown i think but i do think by their the standard that they've had you know on this really good run with the smackdown six everything I did feel like this one was a bit all over the place. I thought the main event stuff was pretty focused, but otherwise it, it, you do feel like it's a little meandering. Like, you know, you have guys like Eddie and like edge has a thing with a train, but he's really not having anything big going on. Like you do feel like they need to kind of reshuffle things and figure out what they want to do on the undercard. So I think even by there, I thought it was solid. I wouldn't have gone five out of 10, but I do feel like SmackDown is still, uh, sort of transitioning and figure out where they want to go as they kind of, you know, as the pieces have gotten moved and they've kind of, the focus of the show is not quite on that whole, on the SmackDown six thing. And they're trying to figure out where to go. But the main event I think is, you know, obviously the highlight here and the focus of the show. And I think they nailed that pretty good. They seem to sort out that undercard again. Mm-hmm. I actually went six out of 10. I enjoyed the show um, mm-hmm. pretty, pretty, pretty well. Um, you know, like you said, I think um, the main event scene is, you know, pretty locked in with Benoit, with Angle, Brock, Benoit, and Show is kind of like the main focus. And yeah, the uh, the mid card's kind of um, 
a little all over the place. I think there's still, um, yeah, like you said, there's kind of looking for things for guys to do like edge and, um, the Guerreros, like what, you know, they're the tag champions, but they don't really have any, uh, anyone to feud with right now. Um, you got Cena kind of continuing to grow. You got, um, uh, Matt continuing to grow. You got this, you know, the kind of the, the Tory Don Al saga continuing, um, you got Kimmick kind of floating around. So yeah, the, the, the mid card on SmackDown, I think definitely has taken a little bit of a hit with the SmackDown six split kind of going their own separate ways and finding uh, other things to do. But I do think there is still some good stuff here with the show. Mm-hmm. And, um, I do kind of agree, but I think, um, in terms of the two shows, I think raw has a little bit more direction going into 2003 as SmackDown does. But I think mm-hmm. we'll see as the um, the weeks go on that SmackDown definitely um, gets some good direction, and um, we'll see how that kind of plays as we start to, as we go into 2003 and begin the build to the Rumble. Yeah, um, I think you made a good point of. Um, sorry, I'm trying to get my train of thought again. Uh, it's um, like I do think. The the icy title, that's what it was. Sorry, it took me a minute. I lost it there. But um, you had mentioned earlier, like, the lack of the icy title. I think you could see it on SmackDown, too. Like, the icy title would be perfect for, like, you know, Edge right now or Eddie or these guys who aren't involved in this angle, you know, Brock deal. Like, for those guys, I think it would give them a little more focus and kind of help them figure out what to do and maybe get a little more juice out under card. So I think on both shows, you could kind of see the the loss of the IC title kind of hurts it a bit. So, but yeah, still a solid show. Definitely not bad. It's just, I mean, SmackDown set a high bar. I mean, they were really rocking and rolling for a while, but um, so pretty good shows from each this week. Uh, so we'll, we'll go into our war TFC best match. Um, I have uh, Angle and Benoit as my, uh, as my best uh, as the main event on SmackDown. Uh, yeah, same. Good. My best moment. Um, if I would go like singular moment, it would probably be Shannon Moore getting belly to belly out of the ring. But I think if I were to pick like an overall moment, like not just that, you know, like a promo or something, I would definitely go with Jericho's promo on HBK. I thought the, I thought he killed it with that. Yeah. I went with the, uh, the Sean, the Jericho Sean, uh, uh, showdowns as well, but definitely good honorable mention for, uh, for the, the beating that Moore took. So, right. Um, best show. I think we may be split on this. I'm actually, I think going to lean raw this week. I, I thought raw was, had a little bit more to offer. It was very close though. Yeah. I gave the slight edge to SmackDown, but yeah, it was definitely, uh, definitely close between the two. You almost could have, could argue that maybe it would have been a tie between the two. Yeah. Yeah. I agree too, but it's a good show for raw though, because, um, you know, they begin to beat most weeks. Uh, LVP for this, I'm going to go with Jeff Hardy. I just thought he looked like a mess and just not good. Not, you know, he's fallen so far from, you know, it is, it's like Fiddick because the last time you were on, we were, you know, he was kind of, you thought there were big things in store for him. He's just fallen so far and just doesn't look good. It's, it's just honestly kind of sad to see. I actually went with his opponent, D'Lo. Uh, just kind of, <laughs> right. thrown, kind of just brought back out of the mothballs out of nowhere. Um, and and we, we actually didn't talk about it, but he had the, the little, like, kind of like the uh, the referee of the match kind of went to him and apologized for missing his foot on the ropes. And Brown kind of went the uh, the whole 
the ra- you know pulled the race card of you know it's like and it's just kind of uh-huh. like oh really we're gonna do that with him now so uh-huh. yeah just i mean just a good choice but i i think i gave us a little bit of a i thought brown was a little bit worse than he was all right, and uh, MVP, I am going to go with. I think I'm going to go with Kurt on this one. He had the, he was in the best match. I thought, you know, he's the champ now. He he did the big reveal with Heyman, um, just really getting his full heel mojo as the champ. So I'm going to go with Kurt. He's always a. Uh, whenever I have no one who necessarily really blows me away, Kurt is usually like kind of my, my. I always fall back on Kurt. Yeah, that's a good choice. I actually went with Heyman. Um, from kind of like the, the revealing of like the plan with Kurt, you know, that he was now his his new manager and, you know, him kind of using his uh, sharp tongue to kind of convince Joe to go along with the plan. And then that final visual at the end of him standing tall with the title over Brock, uh, I thought was kind of a this was definitely kind of his his big moment. Like I said, they kind of put him over as being like the most powerful figure on SmackDown at that point. So I thought uh, he definitely deserved uh, a mention, but, but Kurt's definitely a good, good choice as well. Yep. All right. So uh, we will get into our, you know, some standout performers. I usually call it the top five, but you know, you don't have to pick five. Other people have come on the show and they pick whatever number they want, but just kind of not besides our MVP people sit out. So, We'll see. Um, I, I have a feeling we're probably both going to have Jericho. I definitely have Jericho for that promo. And um, he had a good match with Booker, too. Yeah, I, de- I agree on uh, – definitely agree with Jericho. Um, I actually – I'm going to give a sh- slight shout-out to Shannon Moore for taking an ass-kicking in the match and an insane bump that could have maybe did, to, for all we know, shatter his tailbone. So I'll give Shannon Moore a little bit of cred there. Um uh, I gave a little bit to Trish. I don't know. I thought Trish really like took some brutal bumps in there and looked like a badass in her match. Um, I think Brock kind of in the same thing as Shannon Moore. I thought he came back and kind of asserted himself in the ring and reminded us that, you know, um, how much of a beast he is. Uh, Benoit, I think, was good in his match and kind of getting in that main event mix. Uh, anybody else? I think there's quite a few you could pick on these shows. A lot of pretty good good performances. Yeah, this is actually where I had Angle um, for the work mm-hmm. he did. Um, I, was, I did have Benoit as well. I thought he, you know, kind of proved him, you know, kind of was showing that he deserves to be a legitimate main eventer, you know, after all, you know, kind of like building himself up. Um, I thought, yeah, I agree with you on Trish. She's definitely a good choice. Um, I gave Eddie, Eddie a nod for how crispy looked in the mm-hmm. match with Kidman. And then I gave a nod to Booker and Goldust for kind of uh, – you know, their, their, their whole segment with, you know, Goldust and Santa, and then both kind of having really solid matches and kind of ending the year on a high note for the two of them as, you know, kind of the culmination of their, their year long uh, trek as a, from, you know, being for, for their run as a tag team. So those were kind of the guys that I uh, highlighted specifically for how good they had it. Yeah, I can even throw Steiner in there. Steiner, I think you get a lot for kind of holding his own in that um, that segment with Triple H. Yeah, mm-hmm. some good perform good performances on these. Um, but anyway, that uh, that wraps up the show here. Steve, would you like to tell us what you have going on, either like um, podcast wise or anything else? 
Yeah, so you can usually find me over on the uh, PTB and Pop Experience. I have two podcasts running over there. Um, I'm part of Pop Goes to Classics along with Andy Atherton, Miranda Berthold. We are going through all of the Disney animated films. Our most recent episode just dropped on Oliver and Company, which was a you know fun fun film to talk about. But of course, that means next month we will be hitting uh, the Disney Renaissance. Uh, we've been looking forward to kind of talking about those films. So great stuff uh, coming with those. And then I also, of course, have uh, Mickey Mount Rushmore on the Pop Experience. So so good stuff going on over there with that. Um, other than that, you can usually follow me over on Facebook on the PT, on the Place to Be Facebook page. Lots of great uh, discussions going on over there. And our current uh, tournament that uh, this feed is actually um, doing right now, where we are determining the greatest WrestleMania match build of all time. So some uh, interesting choices. Um, you know, the top uh, the top matches, I think, have definitely got some uh, great competition going into them. So it'll be interesting to see what match uh, ends up taking the take of the title of the greatest WrestleMania build of all time. So looking forward to that. And then, as of course I mentioned, uh, our stretch project for this year, we are revisiting our GWE wrestler list from five years ago. Uh, I'm sure there's going to be some great podcasts coming across uh, both this feed and the PTB and wrestling feed uh, as we revisit that, see who uh, who rises up, who gets knocked off, does our top. Uh, top remain the same um it'll be interesting to see yeah um while we're on the topic of i'll say that right here on the north south uh network uh good old will and tyler kelly welcomed in uh jt and um in uh and scott to talk uh the the on the first episode of the uh re-emerging for your consideration where they uh talk some gww so it's getting it's getting hot and heavy guys so uh um start doing the research for your ballots and, and it'll be a fun one because it's the first revisit so going back those lists and see you know how we want to change things up uh but otherwise i will be i will be back in two weeks as i always am hella high water and we'll be back for another week of uh ruthless aggression so i will see you then you jerky boys i'm out see you later <laughs>